Hey, people have been in the game, eh? Zulak has been in the financial services sector for 20 years. Uh, and I know Jaws has uh, been in the world of entertainment for around 20 years or so as well. So, Sebenza uh, never trends up. Yeah, it's funny that, you know. In 2001, I was in Standard 3, I think. Yeah, yeah, Grade 5. Uh, just to place things into context. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We stand at the feet of uh, veterans and uh, at the feet of uh, seasoned professionals uh, who uh, are masters of the game. And Ted King, what I mean, that's, that's an entirely different discussion all together. In the next few minutes or so, uh, we are with the new and uh, incoming CEO of the National Research Foundation. And I think the conversation we had with Zuelak is a perfect segue to the conversation we're going to have now with uh, Professor Fulufelo Nelwamondo uh, because uh, if you think about it, all of the stuff we've been talking about, about R&D, about beneficiation, you can't beneficiate if you don't have the patents on the intellectual property uh, or even, I guess, the kind of inventions that allow you to create new and alternative sources and uses for some of what you produce. So a big part of trying to build that industry has a lot to do with some of the thinking work, some of the knowledge creation and generation uh, and uh, intellectual work, and of course, ensuring that that is in an enabling environment within which it can be commercialized. Uh, and uh, we certainly have a, what I always refer to as a robust national system of innovation uh, in this country. And this evening, we have the fortune of speaking to one of the leaders uh, in that national system of innovation. Professor uh, Fulufelo Nelwamondo is my guest and my thought leader on this Thursday. Prof, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga, and thank you for the great welcome. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, you know, as I was looking at your bio, you know, uh, I was thinking, I mean, you know, this is also a Mbirli alumnus. Um, and maybe just a, a place for us to start, you know, in the context of what has happened uh, to one of the pupils of that school. If you could maybe just share, I guess, uh, you know, any message you might have for the Mbilui community and, uh, you know, uh, many of uh, the current and past students of that school who are reeling from the events that have unfolded. I think the events that happened uh, this week, uh, I must say that they are very unfortunate. It's a very sad story. Uh, and I think it talks to the main story about cyberbullying that mm. we've been uh, talking about over the last few uh, months or years in this country. And it's something that has to be brought to story. Yeah. That's a very sad story. And I, my condolences yeah. uh, to to the uh, family and the friends of the deceased uh, Lena. Yeah, yeah. Once again, Prof, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I want us maybe to start off there. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about the national system of innovation and all of the other things I'd like us to get into. But let's first understand Professor Fulufelo Nelamondo, who is uh, a Fulufelo, and uh, you know, just give us uh, that background uh, all the way from uh, Belemu Village um, and just your journey into the world of science, into the world of ideas and knowledge. Uh, thank you very much, Ayabonga. I think my story is a very interesting one. If I just start from where I was born, which is a village in Ramondo. So basically, if you think of my surname, Nel Ramondo, uh, and I think the same thing can be said yeah, but a lot of villages. Number, uh. <laughs> yeah, please about a number, mm. a number of vendor surnames that start with NE. Mm. So if you find a surname that starts with NE, usually it will be the NE followed by village that they come from. So mm. in my surname, Ne Ramondo, I come from Ramondo, which is a village where we are the royals there. Okay. So in that village, uh, with a number of villages just under 30, 
And I was born in one of those smaller villages that are headed by a headman. Uh, I was born in a village called Rukau. And from a very young age, uh, we had this uh, interest in getting good quality education, although we're in the village. So there was a very close school, uh, closer to, in fact, in the village that I was born in. But my mother at the time felt that there's no need for me to go to this school because the pass rate at primary level was very uh, poor. And she then forced me to actually go to a school called Belebu Primary School, which is basically two villages away from Lukau. Mm. You have to walk basically past a village called Chivare, walking all the way to that village. And that is the, the school that I actually went to. Um, I did my lower primary school in that school. And it became a very good journey where after that I then moved to a primary school in the uh, Tibasa area called mm. Maguarela Primary School. Uh, if I were to share a short story about this, the reason for that transition yeah, sure. was large, largely because people from the Maguarela Primary School could actually get into Mbibu easily. Mm. And, and, and the, the whole thing was timed such that by the time I am done with the school, then I should be able to go to Mbibu because we were in the Tsibasa area as well, so they were very close, and the likelihood of getting into Mbilu was uh, yeah. uh, quite high. So, so Mbilu has a lot of competition even in its feeder schools to get into it? Yes. Mm. In fact, at the time that I went to Mbilu, you used to apply and you go through a, you know, a process, a selection process, wow. and so on. So it was not an automatic uh, entry because almost all the learners would be applying to go to Mbilu because of its performance at the time. Sure, sure, sure. Prof, I want us to pause here for a second. We need to take a quick spot break. But when we come back, I want us to talk about, uh, you know, uh, I guess matriculating your journey into electrical engineering. Uh, and yeah, I mean, for somebody born in 1982, I've never heard of somebody born in the 80s who is a, has an order, you know, from, from the <laughs> national government. So, so you must also tell us about that when we come back. I'm, yeah, in, convers- right. I'm in conversation with Professor Fulufelo Nelwamondo. And uh, he is the incoming chief executive officer at the National Research Foundation, uh, PhD in electrical engineering and uh, holder of the Order of Mapungubwe in silver. Yeah, uh, that's our thought leader on this Thursday. And our thought leader on this Thursday is Professor Fulufelo Nelomondo, who's the chief executive officer at uh, the National Research Foundation. And uh, we talked to him about uh, his journey in the world of science, in the world of ideas and uh, knowledge, and uh, awarded the uh, Order of Mapungubwe in silver, the highest civilian honor uh, bestowed by the President of the Republic for his contribution to the field of science, in particular electrical engineering. Prof? Electrical engineering, you get to WITS, um, you know, from uh, Sibasa, where you matriculated. Uh, talk to me about, I guess, the environment initially, but also uh, your own intellectual journey in that space that, uh, you know, effectively ended up uh, in you getting a PhD in what is called computational intelligence. A short summary of this began when I was in Bili. I had this big interest in research, mm. which began when I was in Senate 6. I remember I joined uh, the National Science Olympiad then, and I was doing some research on earthquakes at the time. Mm. I remember most of my colleagues were even laughing at me, saying that, why am I doing earthquakes? Uh, because uh, earthquakes were unheard of. You're yeah, busy with uh, the Richter scale there. Huh? <laughs> so that, of course, uh, continued until when I was, I think, in around uh, grade uh, 8 at the time. Mm where some of my colleagues in particular, I know that they're listening, it was uh, Ofani Mudau, Rufunu uh, Marwala, and Selby Mudau as well. 
who I think we decided to move towards um, aeronautics engineering and we were inspired by the moon landings at the time mm. where we, we thought, okay, yeah, let's move into aeronautical engineering. Fast forward, instead of nine, we started applying for bursaries. Uh, some of them were not coming through. And you may recall uh, at the time, uh, because we didn't have access to the internet, you will actually write a letter to a company asking them to send you an application form mm. so, so that when you get a form, you fill the form and send back the form. Uh, to them. But we were fortunate that at that time, uh, ESCOM visited the school and they asked uh, the school to give, I think, 10 uh, top uh, 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 learners who will be interested in doing ESCOM-related uh, work. We then were called to ESCOM and somehow we then became successful. But the, the change was now that ESCOM mentioned that we can only fund you if you're going to do electrical engineering. So that's where we dropped the whole idea of aeronautical engineering. Mm. And all of us, I think the people that I've mentioned, uh, we sort of moved towards the space uh, that's related to electrical engineering one way or another. And then from there, we had to split and decide on where we were going. Some of us then said, no, we don't want to go too far. Let's go to VETS. Let's go away. And I fell into the crew that went to VETS. And that's how my selection of VETS came in. Okay. Now, you know, you end up with a PhD at VETS. You get the Harvard South Africa Fellowship. Talk to me about some of the the work and maybe just at a layman's perspective. I mean, some of the groundbreaking work uh, that you're, you've done because no one will get an order of Mapungubwe if they haven't done, you know, world-class groundbreaking research in the space. Uh, and I guess also in your new role, that's uh, some of what you will be overseeing. Talk to me about some of that work and I guess, uh, you know, the, the um, new knowledge that that contributed, I guess, to the world of uh, computational intelligence. The main aspect uh, was around artificial intelligence at the time, and it was a very new theme. It was more of a buzzword. And we so happened to be working uh, under Professor Marwala at Sevets, who was a, you know, probably a leader, uh, a well leader in that field uh, within the country. So what I then did, I chose areas where we'll apply artificial intelligence in, in a number of uh, uh, um, uh, problematic areas where, for instance, um, speech recognition was a, a big issue at the time. When I was in an undergrad, I started doing some work in applying artificial intelligence in speech recognition, started publishing papers during that period. That was even before I went to, to the master's level. Then at uh, post-degree uh, studies, master's and 12 PhD, the focus then was how do I apply these? How do I create new methods? Uh, we applied new methods. We found applications within the HIV space where we're dealing with the problem of missing data and we're saying, how do we then deal with missing data in surveys where people will find data missing and they, mm. they will just, you know, uh, delete the database because it's incomplete. And I was saying, but hang on, one can find ways of actually uh, uh, imputing this uh, missing data in a, in, a, in a novel way. And that's what we did. And the, my research then grew from that angle. And we found a number of different applications. Okay. Uh, of artificial intelligence. Mm, fascinating stuff. So, so I guess in that process, many might say, you know, that was your foray into the national system of innovation. Um, Indeed. You know, of course, the interest had come a lot earlier, I guess, in your high school career. But, but let's talk about that because I was having a conversation, you know, just before uh, we started with this chat uh, with somebody in the capital markets, uh, you know, talking about this relationship between the building of secondary industry in South Africa and investing in different applications for some of the, you know, minerals or other endowments that we might have as a country. Um, 
What do you make of, of where our national system of innovation is in terms of that? I mean, uh, you know, we're in a point now where people are looking, running helter-skelter for a vaccine, and the national systems of innovations in many other countries have been able to produce that, and some South Africans are asking why we haven't. I think we all will agree that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the national system of innovation. We need to, to find ways of strengthening it. And I think the, 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 the system of national, I mean, the national system of innovation on its own is very broad. Mm. It requires a number of systems or subsystems to work together, starting from the funding agencies, those who are doing the research, those who are you know, moving towards the applied research, uh, the move towards uh, the commercialization aspects, the companies that come into, into the picture to fund this research or to consume the, the, the products of this research. Mm. All of these play in this system or additional system of innovation. And the big aspect is, are we really doing enough? Are we strengthening enough? Uh, is it balanced? And my view is that there are areas that are lacking that we need to find ways of empowering them mm. so that we can, we can lead to uh, creating new industries. The, the area that you just mentioned now, we don't have a big industry in that area. You look at biotech industry in South Africa, for mm. instance, it's almost non-existent. Mm. And that's the reason why you find uh, some of those challenges. But there's a lot of work, fundamental research that we do in uh, areas that can support that uh, biotech industry. But what are we doing? What is leaking? And that's what we need to investigate and find out, mm. uh, find better solutions. I guess the, the flip side then of my question is that, you know, you were at the CSIR before your, your, your new posting now. Um, yes. And we often hear from people in the know who say, you know, there's a, uh, a treasure trove of patents of, um, you know, uh, all manner of intellectual property that uh, is sitting with the CSIR. CSIR that could potentially be commercialized in different spaces. And you even have in, you know, people here in South Africa filing patents in the U.S. Uh, on the back of support they might have gotten from government-owned entities like the CSIR. Um, where are we in terms of commercializing all of the rich stuff that comes through from our universities and other institutions in our, in our system of innovation? My assessment is that we, we have good... I mean, if you look at the patent uh, pool that we have, it's... It, it, quite significant it's not very big but mm. it is significant uh, in a way that uh, if one were to commercialize let's say or to create an industry out of any every every let's say five patents that we make uh, in the country uh, or that we file uh, every year one will have seen a number of uh, new formations of companies or products that are coming from those areas but there's something that's not coming out right in some areas we have found that uh, the, 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 the take um, the, the, the process of uh, the uptake is much higher even, even uh, in foreign countries than in our space of our own technologies. I can give you examples of technologies that, you know, we had patents in South Africa, but you look at the industry, look at the lithium-ion battery. Mm. It's our patent in South Africa, but we, we don't even produce one lithium-ion battery that you can see in our Wait, own. wait, hold up. The lithium-ion battery is a South African patent. Yes, it, it's the work that the CSIR did in the, in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, but somehow we could not fund it all the way to uh, the creation of companies. But now, uh, you look at now the cell phones, the laptops that we are using, they're all using the same technology, but it's, we don't have an industry in that area. Mm, 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 mm. And I can give you a number of examples. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go through some of those examples, I guess, with the, with the time we still have, uh, uh, Professor Fulu, because many of my listeners, even just with the example you've just dropped, might be saying, yo, yo, if, if that's one of them, which other ones exist as well? Maybe because um, 
I've not really prepared them now. Maybe let me, let me not uh, give you the other ones because I might be disclosing something that uh, I didn't check with the CSR whether I can disclose those. No, now. that's fine. But, just just but in general. There's a number of them now. that uh, I think have been, they've been developed in the country that uh, they could have led to industries on their own. How much of the failure to commercialize them is a lack of linkages between the institutions that produce and oversee the production of the new knowledge and those that are, I guess, supposed to be financing the development of these new innovations and effectively securing or taking them to market? This question is very complex because I think uh, there are various studies that are trying to look into that. But what you think is that for instance, somebody who's doing uh, research, and let's move to the applied research point of view, and you say somebody does this applied research, um, you find that their system ends when they say, I have a patent, therefore I have a tick box that I can say I produce a particular uh, outcome. The issue is now, when you take that, do we then have funding instruments that can say, let's go and scan through these IPs that all the universities or all the science councils have produced, which ones are marketable, which ones mm. can lead to a technology that uh, uh, that's a market adapted, who's willing to put a risk into further development in, into that. So the challenge is that I don't think there's a holistic view. You find that everyone looks at their parts, but the systems may not be talking to one another mm. in a, a, a holistic way. And that's one of the biggest challenges that I, I see in the particular space. Whose job is it to play that coordinating function? So if you look at the various pieces of our laws, the acts, uh, you'll find, for example, you have the TIA, which is an act of parliament, which talks about uh, technology and innovation. You'll find, so, so, so you have various entities that are given uh, the mandate, not to coordinate, but each one of them is sort of doing a, a particular role. In my view, um, one can look into the whole landscape, and there's, an, there's a study that has been done now to look into the landscape to say, what is really lacking within this NSI, who's supposed to be the, at the center of this mm. coordination? At the moment, you find some element is done by the uh, government departments and, and so on, but it's not very clear in terms of who is given that money to do the coordination at the moment. <laughs> That's an interesting one, because I guess, you know, we're at a time now where we probably need these innovations to be coming in thick and fast. Um, I mean, the point that was being made earlier by my guest was, you know, if you think about auto catalysts, for instance, and, and the role that they, those play in the reduction and the tracking of emissions, uh, which is a goal certainly for many uh, an industry. And uh, a major feedstock to that is platinum. South Africa and Zimbabwe sit on the lion's share of the known reserves of that particular commodity. Um, and yet it doesn't seem like we, we are anywhere near creating even new and other alternative uses for that platinum in line with whatever innovations are happening in the world. Indeed, you are, you are spot on. I don't think uh, anyone can argue. So we have challenges there, and I think that points to what we need to look uh, at, even from us as the NRF now, to say the very same problem that you've raised, what can we do to make sure that we then address this? We sort of, mm. Because we, we sort of know who is doing what. We, we can see all these elements within the NSI because we're engaging with them. How do we align them and make sure that they coordinate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about the NRF. Um, I mean, one, one of the policy mandates, and I remember you know, when I was at university, uh, many of us were encouraged because of the generous uh, support of the NRF to continue uh, with our studies beyond just uh, the undergraduate training 
um, and uh, to try and go as far as we could because I guess there was an intentional agenda to get as many you know black and African South Africans um, into postgraduate study, into academic pathways uh, from a career perspective as well. Um, everybody, I guess, might, or many people might be familiar with that part of your work, but uh, I would think there are other elements as well that contribute to strengthening the NSI as well. Indeed. I mean, our mandate basically talks to four areas uh, without citing it fully, but it talks about promoting and advancing uh, the human capacity development, which is the part that you have raised now, mm. which we do through the bursaries and the funding and uh, making av- uh, available the necessary infrastructure. That's the one part. On the second part, it talks about us developing and supporting the national research facilities, which you'll be aware of a number of research facilities, the Itemba Labs, um, the Sarao, the South African Astronomical Ob- uh, Observatory, and others. I'm not going to mention them now. Mm. But it talks about the research faci- uh, facilities. It also talks about supporting and promoting the public awareness uh, and engagement with science. Can, is, is, I mean, the public that's not engaged will not have interest in the science for the future. Mm. And the last one talks about uh, promoting the development and the maintenance of the national uh, science system and supporting government priorities. Mm, mm, mm. And of course, you know, I guess when we think about that, uh, one of those, well, the apex priority, of course, is to deal with poverty, uh, inequality and unemployment. Um, and uh, I guess we often battle as a country to, to make those direct links uh, between the strength and the robustness and the competitiveness of our national system of innovation and achieving some of our employment ambitions. I mean, South Africa's unemployment is unparalleled anywhere else in the world. So, so the big question that I'm asking is, if that is the nature of the problem, what kind of NSI do we need to be able to deal with that very peculiar and unique challenge? So the short answer to it is you need an NSI that is... I think we, we, we need to be, to be realistic of the mm. challenges that we are facing at the moment, that we are in a space where uh, we have limited resources. Therefore, we need to be optimal. And the, this optimization, in my view talks to do we have innovation uh, on the forefront or innovation comes to us as, as an afterthought. So I will want to see maybe a system where when I'm doing research, I'm saying, as a first question, how is this research going to make impact? How mm. is it going to change the quality of life mm. of the people of this country? And you start with that from the, from the beginning to the point that by the time you have your products or rather your outputs in the research space, you know that they're well aligned with the bigger picture uh, that will lead to a commercial product or so. Of mm. course, that needs to be done in a balanced form. You don't want to, to focus on applied research because you need uh, uh, fundamental research as well. But it's important to have all of this aligned and having the, 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 the end in mind from the beginning. Yeah, and I guess, Prof, you know, just as we wrap up, um, you know, the, the one uh, uh, question that I would have on my end is uh, what message, if any, you would have to, to many of the aspiring and budding scientists uh, who are listening into this conversation, uh, many of whom, I guess, you know, come from uh, villages not too different from the one you have come from and many who have come through experiences that are quite similar to yours. What message would you have for them? Uh, and also, I guess, uh, any messages about your vision for your new role? If I start with the, the message about the vision on the new role, mm. it touches on exactly what uh, I just uh, covered now. So the NRF has just completed a Vision 2030 uh, plan where we are trying to have research that works for society, uh, having excellence, impact, uh, transformation, and sustainability 
given the challenges that we face now. And when we talk of impact, we're talking about societal impact, we're talking about economic impact, we're talking about, you know, being sustainable in a manner that we can create jobs for people. So these, uh, if you put these and you map it into the vision that I have for the organization, is to transform the NRF into an innovation-led organization. That will then balance between all those areas of research from fundamental to applied in a manner that will then have innovation. So maybe to the young people out there, I think it's all possible. Uh, my story always reminds me that it doesn't matter where you come from, uh, with determination, with energy, and uh, position yourself in, in a way that you, know, you, you don't get tired along the way, can put you in a space where you can make an uh, impact for this country. And everyone can do it. You just need to be in the right place, you just need the right energy, and getting the right assistance. Prof. Thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, this evening and Nimadegwane, uh, and uh, we really appreciate that you could join us this evening and uh, wish you all of the best in your new role as the CEO of the NRF. And thank you very much to you and the listeners. Uh, that is Professor Fulufelo Nelomondo speaking to us uh, this evening and uh, yeah, yeah, some fascinating views there on our national system of innovation and uh, yeah, you know, you know, people at the center of the NSI just drop some of these facts like it's nobody's business. I've just shared on my Twitter timeline that, uh, you know, I was, I think, probably today years old when I found out about, I guess, how cutting edge South Africa's research uh, from the late 70s uh, into lithium iron batteries has been. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll continue to share that because I find it as a fascinating story. But apparently, South Africa decided in the CSIR in 1992 to say, you know what? Um, these investments in, uh, uh, you know, lithium, uh, you know, uh, I guess battery technology uh, aren't really worth our while because we don't have a very strong uh, lithium industry here at home. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think at that time they were quite unaware of the real significance of the work they were undertaking at the CSIR. And I guess it's a lesson that uh, these, when we talk about patents, about, you know, you're potentially talking about the things that might be the critical technologies of the future. And that's why we need the CSIRs, the NRFs, and many others in our national system of innovation because you can't talk about industrializing your economy if uh, you're not going to be willing to uh, get your hands dirty in the world of research and development. And I think uh, Professor Nelwamondo and the discussion we've had with him is an example of just that.